God in Everything, delivered in London, 27th October, 1896. We have seen how the greater portion of our life must, of necessity, be filled with evils, however we may resist, and that that mass of evil is practically almost infinite for us. We have been struggling to remedy this since the beginning of time, yet everything remains very much the same. The more we discover remedies, the more we find ourselves beset by subtler evils. We have also seen that all religions propose a God as the one way of escaping these difficulties. All religions tell us that if you take the world as it is, as most practical people would advise us to do in this age, then nothing would be left to us but evil. They further assert that there is something beyond this world. This life of the five senses, life in the material world, is not all. It is only a small portion and merely superficial. Behind and beyond is the infinite, in which there is no more evil. Some people call it God, some Allah, some Jehovah, Jove, and so on. The Vedantin calls it Brahman. The first impression we get of the advice given by religions is that we had better terminate our existence. To the question how to cure the evils of life, the answer apparently is, give up life. It reminds me of the old story. A mosquito settled on the head of a man, and a friend, wishing to kill the mosquito, gave it such a blow that he killed both man and mosquito. The remedy of evil seems to suggest a similar course of action. Life is full of ills. The world is full of evil. That is a fact no one who is old enough to know the world can deny. But what is the remedy proposed by all the religions? That this world is nothing. Beyond this world is something which is very real. Here comes the difficulty. The remedy seems to destroy everything. How can that be a remedy? Is there no way out then? The Vedanta says that what all religions advance is perfectly true, but it should be properly understood. Often it is misunderstood, because the religions are not very clear in their meaning. What we really want is head and heart combined. The heart is very great indeed. It is through the heart that come the great inspirations of life. I would a hundred times rather have a little heart and no brain than be all brains and no heart. Life is possible, progress is possible for him who has heart. But he who has no heart and only brains dies of dryness. At the same time, we know that he who is carried along by his heart alone has to undergo many ills, for now and then he is liable to tumble into pitfalls. 
the combination of heart and head is what we want. I do not mean that a man should compromise his heart for his brain, or vice versa, but let everyone have an infinite amount of heart and feeling, and at the same time, an infinite amount of reason. Is there any limit to what we want in this world? Is not the world infinite? There is room for an infinite amount of feeling, and so also for an infinite amount of culture and reason. Let them come together without limit. Let them be running together, as it were, in parallel lines, each with the other. Most of the religions understand the fact, but the error into which they all seem to fall is the same. They are carried away by the heart, the feelings. There is evil in the world, give up the world. That is the great teaching, and the only teaching, no doubt. Give up the world. There cannot be two opinions that to understand the truth, Every one of us has to give up error. There cannot be two opinions that every one of us, in order to have good, must give up evil. There cannot be two opinions that every one of us, to have life, must give up what is death. And yet, what remains to us if this theory involves giving up the life of the senses, the life as we know it? And what else do we mean by life? If we give this up, what remains? We shall understand this better when later on we come to the more philosophical portions of the Vedanta. But for the present, I beg to state that in Vedanta alone we find a rational solution of the problem. Here I can only lay before you what the Vedanta seeks to teach, and that is the deification of the world. The Vedanta does not in reality denounce the world. The ideal of renunciation nowhere attains such a height as in the teachings of the Vedanta. But at the same time, dry suicidal advice is not intended. It really means deification of the world, giving up the world as we think of it, as we know it, as it appears to us, and to know what it really is. Deify it. It is God alone. We read at the commencement of one of the oldest of the Upanishads, whatever exists in this universe is to be covered with the Lord. We have to cover everything with the Lord himself, not by a false sort of optimism, not by blinding our eyes to the evil, but by really seeing God in everything. Thus we have to give up the world, and when the world is given up, what remains? God. What is meant? You can have your wife, it doesn't mean that you are to abandon her, but that you are to see God in the wife. Give up your children. What does that mean? To turn them out of doors as some human brutes do in every country? Certainly not. That is diabolism. It is not religion. 
but see God in your children, so in everything, in life and in death, in happiness and in misery, the Lord is equally present. The whole world is full of the Lord. Open your eyes and see him. This is what the Vedanta teaches. Give up the world which you have conjectured, because your conjecture was based upon a very partial experience, upon very poor reasoning, and upon your own weakness. Give it up. The world we have been thinking of so long, the world to which we've been clinging so long, is a false world of our own creation. Give that up. Open your eyes and see that as such it never existed. It was a dream, Maya. What existed was the Lord himself. It is he who is in the child, in the wife and in the husband. It is he who is in the good and in the bad. He is in the sin and in the sinner. He is in life and in death. A tremendous assertion indeed, yet that is the theme which the Vedanta wants to demonstrate, to teach and to preach. This is just the opening theme. Thus we avoid the dangers of life and its evils. Do not desire anything. What makes us miserable? The cause of all miseries from which we suffer is desire. You desire something, and the desire is not fulfilled. The result is distress. If there is no desire, there is no suffering. But here too, there is the danger of my being misunderstood, so it is necessary to explain what I mean by giving up desire and becoming free from all misery. The wolves have no desires, and they never suffer. True, but they never evolve. This chair has no desires. It never suffers, but it is always a chair. There is a glory in happiness. There is a glory in suffering. If I may dare to say so, there is a utility in evil too. The great lesson in misery we all know. There are hundreds of things we have done in our lives which we wish we had never done, but which, at the same time, have been great teachers. As for me, I'm glad I have done something good and many things bad. Glad I have done something right and glad I have committed many errors, because every one of them has been a great lesson. I as I am now, am the resultant of all I have done, all I have thought. Every action and thought have had their effect, and these effects are the sum total of my progress. We all understand that desires are wrong, but what is meant by giving up desires? How could life go on? It would be the same suicidal advice, killing the desire and the man too. The solution is this. Not that you should not have property, 
not that you should not have things which are necessary, and things which are even luxuries. Have all you want and more, only know the truth and realise it. Wealth does not belong to anybody. Have no idea of proprietorship, possessorship. You are nobody, nor am I, nor anyone else. All belongs to the Lord, because the opening verse told us to put the Lord in everything. God is in the wealth that you enjoy. He is in the desire that rises in your mind. He is in the things you buy to satisfy your desire. He is in your beautiful attire, in your beautiful ornaments. This is the line of thought. All will be metamorphosed as soon as you begin to see things in that light. If you put God in your every movement, in your conversation, in your form, in everything, the whole scene changes, and the world, instead of appearing as one of woe and misery, will become a heaven. The kingdom of heaven is within you, says Jesus. So says the Vedanta, and every great teacher. He that hath eyes to see, let him see, and he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The Vedanta proves that the truth for which we have been searching all this time is present and was all the time with us. In our ignorance, we thought we had lost it and went about the world crying and weeping, struggling to find the truth, while all along it was dwelling in our own hearts. There alone can we find it. If we understand the giving up of the world in its old crude sense, then it would come to this, that we must not work, that we must be idle, sitting like lumps of earth, neither thinking nor doing anything, but must become fatalists, driven about by every circumstance, ordered about by the laws of nature, drifting from place to place. That would be the result. But that is not what is meant. We must work. Ordinary mankind, driven everywhere by false desire, what do they know of work? The man propelled by his own feelings and his own senses, what does he know about work? He works who is not propelled by his own desires by any selfishness whatsoever. He works who has no ulterior motive in view. He works who has nothing to gain from work. Who enjoys the picture? The seller or the seer? The seller is busy with his accounts, computing what his gain will be, how much profit he will realise on the picture. His brain is full of that. He is looking at the hammer and watching the bids. He is intent on hearing how fast the bids are rising. That man is enjoying the picture, who has gone there without any intention of buying or selling. He looks at the picture and enjoys it. So this whole universe is a picture, and when these desires have vanished, Men will enjoy the world, and then this buying and selling, 
and these foolish ideas of possession will be ended. The moneylender gone, the buyer gone, the seller gone. This world remains the picture, a beautiful painting. I never read of any more beautiful conception of God than the following. He is the great poet, the ancient poet. The whole universe is his poem, coming in verses and rhymes and rhythms, written in infinite bliss. When we have given up desires, then alone shall we be able to read and enjoy this universe of God. Then everything will become deified. Nooks and corners, byways and shady places, which we thought dark and unholy, will all be deified. They will all reveal their true nature, and we shall smile at ourselves and think that all this weeping and crying has been but child's play, and we were only standing by, watching. So do your work, says the Vedanta. It first advises us how to work, by giving up, giving up the apparent, elusive world. What is meant by that? Seeing God everywhere, thus do you work. Desire to live a hundred years. Have all earthly desires, if you wish. Only deify them. Convert them into heaven. Have the desire to live a long life of helpfulness, of blissfulness and activity on this earth. Thus working, you will find the way out. There is no other way. If a man plunges headlong into foolish luxuries of the world, Without knowing the truth, he has missed his footing, he cannot reach the goal. And if a man curses the world, goes into a forest, mortifies his flesh, and kills himself little by little by starvation, makes his heart a barren waste, kills out all feelings, and becomes harsh, stern, and dried up, that man also has missed the way. These are the two extremes, the two mistakes at either end. Both have lost the way, both have missed the goal. So work, says the Vedanta, putting God in everything and knowing him to be in everything. Work incessantly, holding life as something deified as God himself, and knowing that this is all we have to do, this is all we should ask for. God is in everything, where else shall we go to find him? He is already in every work, in every thought, in every feeling. Thus knowing we must work, this is the only way, there is no other. Thus the effects of work will not bind us. We have seen how false desires are the cause of all the misery and evil we suffer, but when they are thus deified, purified through God, they bring no evil, they bring no misery. Those who have not learnt this secret will have to live in a demonical world until they discover it. Many do not know what an infinite mine of bliss is in them 
around them everywhere. They have not yet discovered it. What is a demonical world? The Vedanta says, ignorance. We are dying of thirst, sitting on the banks of the mightiest river. We are dying of hunger, sitting near heaps of food. Here is the blissful universe, yet we do not find it. We are in it all the time, and we're always mistaking it. Religion proposes to find this out for us. The longing for this blissful universe is in all hearts. It has been the search of all nations. It is the one goal of religion. And this ideal is expressed in various languages in different religions. It is only the difference of language that makes all these apparent divergences. One expresses a thought in one way, another a little differently. Yet perhaps each is meaning exactly what the other is expressing in a different language. More questions arise in connection with this. It is very easy to talk. From my childhood, I have heard of seeing God everywhere and in everything, and then I can really enjoy the world. But as soon as I mix with the world and get a few blows from it, the idea vanishes. I am walking in the street, thinking that God is in every man, and a strong man comes along and gives me a push, and I fall flat on the footpath. Then I rise up quickly with clenched fist. The blood has rushed to my head, and the reflection goes. Immediately I have become mad. Everything is forgotten. Instead of encountering God, I see the devil. Ever since we were born, we have been told to see God in all. Every religion teaches that. See God in everything and everywhere. Do you not remember in the New Testament how Christ says so? We have all been taught that, but it is when we come to the practical side that the difficulty begins. You all remember how in Aesop's fables a fine stag is looking at his form reflected in a lake and is saying to his young one, How powerful I am! Look at my splendid head! Look at my limbs, how strong and muscular they are, and how swiftly I can run. In the meantime, he hears the barking of dogs in the distance, and immediately takes to his heels. And after he has run several miles, he comes back panting. The young one says, You just told me how strong you were. How was it that when the dogs barked, you ran away. Yes, my son, but when the dogs bark, all my confidence vanishes. Such is the case with us. We think highly of humanity. We feel ourselves strong and valiant. We make grand resolves. But when the dogs of trial and temptation bark, we are like the stag in the fable. Then, if such is the case, what is the use of teaching all these things? There is the greatest use. The use is this. 
that perseverance will finally conquer. Nothing can be done in a day. This self is first to be heard, then to be thought upon and then meditated upon. Everyone can see the sky. Even the very worm crawling upon the earth sees the blue sky. But how very far away it is. So it is with our ideal. It is very far away, no doubt. But at the same time, we know we must have it. We must even have the highest ideal. Unfortunately, in this life, the vast majority of persons are groping through this dark life without any ideal at all. If a man with an ideal makes a thousand mistakes, I'm sure that the man without an ideal makes fifty thousand. Therefore it is better to have an ideal. And this ideal we must hear about as much as we can, till it enters into our hearts, into our brains, into our very veins, until it tingles in every drop of our blood and permeates every pore in our body. We must meditate upon it. Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and out of the fullness of the heart, the hand works too. It is thought which is the propelling force in us. Fill the mind with the highest thoughts. Hear them day after day. Think them month after month. Never mind failures. They are quite natural. They are the beauty of life, these failures. What would life be without them? It would not be worth having if it were not for struggles. Where would be the poetry of life? Never mind the struggles, the mistakes. I never heard a cow tell a lie, but it is only a cow, never a man. So never mind these failures, these little backslidings. Hold the ideal a thousand times, and if you fail a thousand times, make the attempt once more. The ideal of man is to see God in everything. But if you cannot see him in everything, see him in one thing, in that thing which you like best, and then see him in another, so on you can go. There is infinite life before the soul. Take your time and you will achieve your end. He, the one who vibrates more quickly than mind, who attains to more speed than mind can ever do, whom even the gods reach not, nor thought grasps. He moving, everything moves. In him all exists. He is moving, he is also immovable. He is near and he is far. He is inside everything, he is outside everything, interpenetrating everything. Whoever sees in every being that same Atman, and whoever sees everything in that Atman, he never goes far from that Atman. When all life and the whole universe are seen in this Atman, then alone man has attained the secret. There is no more delusion for him. 
Where is any more misery for him who sees this oneness in the universe? This is another great theme of the Vedanta, this oneness of life, this oneness of everything. We shall see how it demonstrates that all our misery comes through ignorance. And this ignorance is the idea of manifoldness, this separation between man and man, between nation and nation, between earth and moon, between moon and sun. Out of this idea of separation between atom and atom comes all misery. But the Vedanta says, this separation does not exist. It is not real. It is merely apparent on the surface. In the heart of things there is unity still. If you go below the surface, you find that unity between man and man between races and races, high and low, rich and poor, gods and men, and men and animals. If you go deep enough, all will be seen as only variations of the one, and he who has attained to this conception of oneness has no more delusion. What can delude him? He knows the reality of everything, the secret of everything. Where is there any more misery for him? What does he desire? He has traced the reality of everything to the Lord, the centre, the unity of everything, and that is the eternal existence, eternal knowledge, eternal bliss. Neither death nor disease nor sorrow nor misery nor discontent is there. All is perfect union and perfect bliss. For whom should he mourn then? In the reality there is no death, there is no misery. In the reality there is no one to mourn for, no one to be sorry for. He has penetrated everything. The pure one, the formless, the bodiless, the stainless. He the knower, he the great poet, the self-existent. He who is giving to everyone what he deserves. They grope in darkness who worship this ignorant world. The world that is produced out of ignorance, thinking of it as existence and those who live their whole lives in this world, and never find anything better or higher, are groping in still greater darkness. But he who knows the secret of nature, seeing that which is beyond nature through the help of nature, he crosses death, and through the help of that which is beyond nature, he enjoys eternal bliss. Thou son, who hast covered the truth with thy golden disc, do thou remove the veil, so that I may see the truth that is within thee. I have known the truth that is within thee. I have known what is the real meaning of thy rays and thy glory, and have seen that which shines in thee. The truth in thee I see, and that which is within thee is within me and I am that.